Hey, August 14th. Envy is one form of vice, partly moral, partly intellectual, which consists in seeing things never in themselves, but only in their relations. Looking at another's program and achievements is another way I have of putting myself down. Why can't you do better? What's the matter with you? I wish I were. The OA program is not a competitive sport, nor is my higher power a referee. With envy as a defect, I do not have to look far to find that I am making unreasonable demands on myself. I know that what relieves me of the compulsion to overeat can also relieve me of other defects. I need only to practice the steps, all of them, and turn my life over to my higher power on a daily basis. I don't need to be perfect in any of this. I just need to be myself. For today, to free myself of envy, I can start by looking to see how it is hurting me. Okay, well, I'm Daryl, compulsive overeater. Gosh, and uh, uh, really, what an honor to to be here today. Uh, it's um, uh, thirty thirty five years since I came to my first meeting, and uh, building up to that, uh, I had been uh, having I had trouble with my weight and with my food since I was a little kid. I became a secret eater. By the time I was seven years old, I would hide. Uh, bread and under my covers and have a binge when I went to, to bed later that night. And uh, uh, so when I uh, uh, came to, well, uh, let's just say that when I, I uh, some of the milestones, uh, when I got, uh, when I uh, got, to, when I graduated from college, I weighed 235 pounds. And uh, by the time I was probably uh, 30 years old, uh, I was uh, well over 300 pounds. And uh, so I lived most of my life over 300, but I, was, I would go on the diets, I would lose 30 or 40 pounds at a time, and then pretty soon I would gain it back again, and, uh, and more. And, uh, and so then in uh, 1979, uh, I, uh, I was uh, uh, really uh, at a place of where I was willing to do something about it. And uh, there was a, uh, a research program that was starting at the school I had graduated from for middle-aged men. And they were going to, uh, they were going to show, uh, or they were going to do a, uh, a research project where they were going to put half of the guys on uh, a, uh, uh, I guess a structured plan uh, that was designed by the researchers of, of eating and exercise. And the other half, they were going to let them do whatever and see who lived the longest, basically. And uh, as I went through the screening process, of course, hoping to be on the, the side that got this uh, magical uh, program that the government devised. And, uh, and then what uh, the doctor called me into his office after the screening and he says, I'm sorry, you're not a candidate for this, uh, this program. And I said, why not? And he said, because you're going to be dead by the time you're 50. And I was 39 at the time and uh, really got my attention. Uh, I, uh, I had to uh, try one more half measure for the next six years, which was uh, off the fast program. I lost 156 pounds in nine months. 
gained it back, lost it a second time, gained it back a second time, and was on my way on the third time. And then this, uh, the disease uh, kind of stepped in and, uh, and in its uh, cunning and baffling and powerful way, uh, it uh, whispered in my ear and it said, uh, you know, uh, you don't have any, you don't eat uh, on this uh, Optifast program that you're on, but you could have one meal a week and nobody would ever know. And uh, so I tried that and nobody knew. And uh, so I started doing that on a regular basis. I had, I was at uh, uh, UCLA going through the Optifast program every Saturday morning. I had to be there. Well, I'd, I'd head for Westwood Village and I would uh, have a meal. And then the disease came back again and said, well, that works so well. Why don't we try a Sunday brunch? Well, you know, as I've said many times before, you know, for a Sunday brunch, it's all you can eat for normal people. For us, it's all you could possibly eat. And, uh, and so I didn't. And that was the way it was for me. And I could not hide that. And they booted me out of the uh, out of that program. And I didn't know where to go. One more half measure left that I had to try. And that was uh, psychotherapy. <clears throat> so I went from there to psychotherapy. Good psychotherapist. I, I still uh, see him from time to time, even today. And But he didn't understand this disease. And uh, all the things that he tried fell flat. And uh, with about six months in, uh, I learned about OA. And I uh, was willing to, to give it a try. And I went to my first meeting, uh, not too far from here, over on Covina Boulevard. And um, as I pulled into the parking lot, and I was really debating, I go in there, or don't go in there. And uh, I was standing there, and uh, there was a lady, uh, uh, some of you remember Nora, <coughs> who was in the uh, parking lot. She said, are you looking for a meeting? And I go, yeah. And so then she said, follow me. And she took me in and she introduced me. The leader was a, a lady that was uh, uh, had some uh, good recovery, Tamara. Uh, some of you remember her. And there were some other people at that very first meeting. And, uh, and I listened. It was my first exposure to OA. And I heard people talking about various lengths of abstinence. And, and I said, what? You know, uh, what is this? You know, and they, they had this relationship with food that I, I had uh, had not heard before. And, uh, and and there were various links. There were some people that, uh, that had uh, weeks, some had months, and some had years. And, uh, and so then I, I, from what I could tell in that first meeting, what abstinence was, was like it was a giant diet. And, but they, but, uh, uh, and they gave up their, uh, for all kinds of things, including the bread, which was on beef, beloved bread, you know, that was, my go-to since I was a little kid. And, uh, and so I, I, I just said, well, you know, maybe I'll fake it. I'll, I'll pretend just so that I can be one of these people in this room because I really had that sense that I belonged there maybe for the first time in my life because I had spent my whole life trying to fit in to the, let's say the normal world. And, uh, and here I was at a place of where I really felt that I did belong, but I just couldn't meet those requirements. That would be impossible. So I came to my second meeting uh, with that attitude. And, uh, and the second meeting was uh, what I call the miracle meeting because the leader of the meeting uh, shared uh, and then he said, 
uh, so the topic tonight is miracle. And I went to that that meeting many for many years after that, and that would they never had a topic at that meeting. And uh, but they did that night, and so they uh, and the meeting was always in a classroom, but it wasn't that night. It was in the doctor's boardroom. And we were in the on this uh, uh, sitting around this big oval table, real big cushy chairs, and uh, there were probably maybe thirteen or fourteen people at the meeting. And uh, he said, "Let's go around the room and each of us share a miracle." And so I, I listened and said, "We're sharing their miracles." And when it came to me, I, uh, I told them I, you know, I was, uh, I was not buying this God stuff anyway. And, uh, and I told him, I said, you know, those aren't miracles. Those are coincidences. And, uh, you know, instead of telling me, well, why don't you go someplace else if you don't like what we have here? They didn't tell me that. They said, keep coming back and maybe you'll see your own miracle. And uh, my own miracle happened uh, two days later. Uh, I still get emotional when I think about it because I was so much in bondage to food. I mean, unbelievably so. I could not stop eating. I, I, I was, my last binge, I used to take the food from a, a local restaurant up to my office on a Saturday when nobody was working. And I would go in there and I'd close the door and I'd have this binge with all this food. Well, as a guy was delivering the food to me, I couldn't wait to get behind closed doors. I started just jamming it in my mouth and I could see people looking at me and I couldn't stop. And, and it did scare me. And, uh, and so when all of a sudden on, when the miracle happened, I was offered a platter of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. And I said, I don't eat those anymore. And uh, I didn't know I didn't eat them. And you know, it, it, and, I, and I knew immediately it was God. I knew it was a miracle. And I knew more than that. I knew that he was a loving God. He wasn't the God that was waiting to nail me. And uh, he was a God that, uh, that knew I existed. That was a big deal for me. And that cared. God, he cared. And, uh, and those, those were all major, major things for me to have that. So I came to believe my second step. I came to believe right that minute, and in uh, uh, my first step, I had that I, I had taken before I even gone to my first meeting when I knew I was powerless over food when I was jamming it in my mouth and couldn't stop. I knew I was powerless, and uh, uh, and so that uh, and so here is this tremendous miracle uh, that happened, and uh, you know I can say that that was my last binge, and that was thirty five years ago, and. Uh, uh, I can't say that I haven't overeaten. I have overeaten, and I've overeaten compulsively, but I haven't binged. And uh, and I haven't overeaten compulsively on a regular basis. I uh, uh, The one thing that I've found through my own personal experience is that it's not so much what happens when I have one of these tough times or these slips, it's what I do next is the important thing. If the next thing that I do is go to a meeting, and turn myself in and say, hey, the food kicked my butt last night. And, and everybody just claps and hugs you. And uh, uh, and that's, uh, it's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal if we don't let it become a big deal. If we decide, oh, no, well, 
uh, I, 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 you know, I have this slip I can't tell anybody. And for me, secrets and the disease go hand in hand. And, uh, and, I, and I can't afford to have a, those kinds of secrets. And uh, see, the, the other part of it is, is the honesty. Uh, I, can't, uh, I can't afford to be dishonest about my food. That uh, there was a time over the years, I've done a whole bunch of different things. I, I've written down my food in advance. I've written my food down afterwards. And uh, when I was writing it down afterwards during those years that I was doing that, that uh, I found that I had a hard time writing the truth down on the paper that I wanted to lie about the food. And nobody's going to read it except me. And uh, and I still had trouble, and, I, and and so it was it was like God put me there to to uh, uh, to teach me honesty, and uh, that I had to do that uh, do that anyway. So you know, so talk about the insanity. You know, that is part of the insanity. But you know, I I I, I want to uh, talk a little bit about abstinence. I want to tell you where I think in the big book, and. That's interesting. The book opens up the page. There's no marker in there. Um, so it's the 10th step promise on page uh, 84 and 85. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor, attempting we recoil from it as from a hot point. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us with any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And what a promise. And uh, uh, and I think that it really points out that the abstinence is a gift received, not achieved. This is not something that if we do this hard enough, we're gonna suddenly get abstinence. It's a gift from a higher power and whatever your higher power is, because it has to be a power greater than food, or it's not going to be able to help you. So as long as your higher power is one that's greater than food, then you have a higher power that can, that can uh, deliver on this, uh, this promise. And I know that with times past that I have, uh, you know, the reading today is about envy. <clears throat> and at times past, uh, I, uh, uh, I think it was my fifth away birthday. Uh, I took a candle at a meeting that I was speaking at that I didn't usually go to. And, uh, but there was a birthday meeting. So I took a candle, it was my fifth birthday. And uh, there was a lady there that took a candle and uh, she said it for eight years, but she said it at, uh, or, uh, for three years, but it should have been eight years. But she ate some strawberries between meals and had to start over. And I felt so convicted. God, how can I say I'm abstinent when you know she has this great, uh, uh, this great thing that she's willing to start over after eating a couple of strawberries? I said, boy, that you know that's not me. And uh, 
so I, I started really feeling doubting my my uh, my abstinence. I, oh, am I really abstinent? Am I really abstinent? And uh, then I, you know, it was a disease. You know, it just it, it sees an opening and it moves in. And it got to the point of where I was actually actually asking God, please don't let me lose these five years. And you know, I got the answer back from Him. I didn't give you five years. I gave you one day at a time, and I'll give you today if you want it. And that's the way he does it. I, my absence today, which has changed over the years, is three meals a day and nothing in between. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I, uh, I, occasionally I will eat something that some people, other people can't have, but guess what? It's because abstinence is a gift from God, and God doesn't make any two things the same. He doesn't make, he'll make two rocks the same, let alone two living things the same. Look at DNA. Uh, it proves it. It proves that there are no two of us who are exactly the same, and his gift from, from heaven, which is abstinence, doesn't have to be the same as anybody else's. I don't have to look at those people that are blessed with back-to-back -back abstinence for year after year after year. That's the gift they've been given. And they're honoring their gift. And I need to honor my gift. So the lady that lost her abstinence over the strawberries, that was her abstinence. And she had to start over again or she wouldn't have been on this. And, uh, and, and, and for me, uh, the honesty comes with you know, the, this concept that I was taught when I came in, that uh, if you were going from New York, from uh, Los Angeles to New York, and you get a flat tire in Chicago, you don't come back to California to change it. You keep on going. You change it and keep on going. And that's been the, the way that I've uh, dealt with food over the years. And I have to say that, the, uh, that this program, as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, talk a little bit about relapse. I, as far as I'm concerned, relapse cannot happen as long as you keep coming back. I don't care what you're eating and I don't care how you're eating it. If you keep coming back to the, these meetings, you're going to be okay. You're, you're going to be okay. The answers will come and uh, your higher power will take care of it one way or the other. And so, uh, uh, and, and a big part of the uh, uh, you know, I read that part on 84 and 85, but uh, uh, a little bit after that on, uh, there's a couple of musts in here about the program of action. And uh, it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are heading for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle pill, boy, uh, so, is, so is the food. We are not cured of compulsive overeating. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And now here comes a couple of musts. You don't see must all the time in here. There's a little, well, usually it's a suggestion. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into our daily act, all of our daily activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. And I think that that is the, the operation of the third step, I, you know, for me is, uh, uh, is so important. And uh, uh, years ago, when our Wednesday night step study and, and 
my sponsor, Karen, if you will remember this because she was the leader. One but, minute. Uh, there was a, got it. There was a leader that uh, that came in. I mean, a leader, a, uh, a somebody who had been really, I thought was a newcomer, but she she gave it. She she said something very wise. She said that if she was feeling any anxiety, or if she was feeling fear, that it was like an alarm going off, telling her that she had a third step problem. And there was so much wisdom in that. And I didn't even appreciate it at the time until I kind of sat with it and thought about that. It's absolutely true. If I am doing my third step, I have nothing to fear. I have a higher power that's there, that's uh, there for me. And that, uh, and like I've learned in this program in talking about envy, first of all, he's not a God of scarcity. He's got plenty. God owns all the banks, owns all the money, owns all the houses. I've been told that since I first came in. And, uh, but that's not the, the, the God I learned about in, uh, 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 in the world before I got here. That, that God was a God of scarcity. No, if they had it, that means they got it from you. That was your share. And that's where the envy comes from, is having a God of scarcity. But he has enough to go around of everything. And what's he going to run out of? And uh, we had Ali uh, uh, share a couple of weeks ago that uh, God never runs out of time even. He never runs out of time. And uh, they, uh, that uh, sometimes we'll have a moment that will pop up that will be the solution to a, to a problem that we thought you had, we'd given up on. And, uh, uh, and I can tell you that, uh, uh, that that's the kind of higher power that we have uh, in these rooms and that he's one that looks after us but we have to surrender to him. It's the one thing that he gave us that he never takes back is his will, our will rather. He gave us the free will and it's up to us if we decide, make that decision to turn our will in our lives over the care of God and we join in and conform to his will, we're gonna be okay. There's only two kinds of will in the universe that we know of, God's will and man's will. There is not a third one. And uh, so what are we going to do? What's our choice to be? Are we going to live in God's world or are we going to live in man's world? Our reading today afterwards, uh, when we read the, uh, uh, the uh, acceptance uh, reading from 449 or 417, they, uh, uh, it, that, it tells us that nothing happens in God's world by mistake. That means God's world. And uh, are we going to, so what's our choice to be? Is it going to be God's world or man's world? Uh, it doesn't say that nothing happens in man's world by mistake, because I think a lot of stuff happens by mistake. But it won't happen to me if I live in God's world. And so that's, that's my job, is, uh, is to uh, uh, live in God's world. And part of that is come here. Part of that is uh, take care of my, uh, my uh, church uh, activities. And part of it is to read the big book uh, and to understand that it was written for me and it's written and it's uh, and it's a written, uh, and it's about me and uh, uh, and I think the the portions with uh, that talk about the self centeredness and that those are things that I have to continually remind myself of uh, the uh, the addition of the big book that I have uh, somebody not me but I I never heard it before but they had written a set aside prayer inside the cover of that book and uh, just basically saying 
that uh, asking God to help me set aside everything I think I know about this book, everything I think I know about this program and everything I think I know about God. And, uh, and to just understand that I don't know shit, you know, that I'm just here one day at a time and he's going to give me what I need today if I pay attention and, uh, uh, and uh, I can take advantage of that. He'll give me the direction that I need. And uh, so not my sponsor could come up and, and my wife, Ann, uh, I want to, uh, I'm going to do my 35th birthday. Those of you that come from other programs, you know that uh, uh, that they give cakes uh, here. <laughs> we give uh, candles and cantaloupes, and uh, so. Might have settled. Yeah. Yeah. That's right there. Cool. Yeah. Let's take a break. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Daryl. Happy birthday to you. Thank you so much. Happy birthday. Thank you. And we're going to pass around a card for those in the room to, to uh, sign. Okay. Yes, take a picture. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 And this was my wife, Anne, by the way. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that's it for me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everything that I get from this program. It's a blessing day in and day out. God bless everybody. Love you, Daryl. Thank you, Daryl.